When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to The Family Brain, a podcast about how the well-being of one person in a family affects the entire family system. I had the idea for this podcast because I have these conversations with friends all the time about family life, how things are going, if it's about parenting or about your family of origin or just how we're keeping the family brain healthy because we all affect one another. And a little bit about me, I have a background in mental health. I got a degree in psychology and I got a master's degree in social work. And I'm a licensed clinical social work in the state of Texas. And I also have a master's in education. I like school. So I thought I was an expert on these topics. And then I had children of my own and I realized I'm not quite the expert that I thought I was, and that each family is very unique, each child's unique, so each family makeup really is very specific, and that the leaders in the family, the parents, are typically the expert on what is going on within that unique system. So it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all for family functioning, for what's going to work for one family is not necessarily going to work for another family. So I love meeting with families. I love talking to people about these topics. And I was thinking that this would be a great way to make suggestions and stories and just advice more um, readily available for other people. I am definitely not considering myself to be the expert on all of these topics, but rather I'm going to bring in different voices so you can hear from different people. And hopefully some of the speakers and some of the people we talk to will hit home with you or maybe make you feel a little less alone in your parenting journey or in your journey with your family. Um, So without further ado, today we are going to be talking to Jill Goolsby, who is a good friend of mine and has had a family life development that she did not anticipate. Can you first just tell us who are the players in your home? Who, what is the cast of characters? Um, I have four children. I have two 10-year-olds, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old. Um, one of and you know what people are thinking right away, right? You have twins. Yes. Yep. So I was about to go into one of my yep. 10-year-olds is, uh, was adopted when she was five. And so then I have a 10, 8, and 6-year-old um, biological boys. And my youngest two boys... One is autistic, and one we don't 
know exactly. We know he's struggling a little bit with some differences, but we're not quite sure what's going on. Okay. That pink's a good picture. How does it feel when people ask if you have twins? What do you do with that? Um, I usually just say one of them's adopted and leave it at that because if they're looking at my kids, they can't tell who might be adopted because they all um, look like they could be biologically related. Um, I mean, if they press, I'll go ahead and explain the story, but I try to just leave it at that and move on. So that actually leads us to one of the listeners had the question about boundaries, and that kind of cuts right to it with when people are asking more questions than you feel prepared or comfortable or feel they are owed. Is that a way to put it? I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, I think so. My child was adopted when she was five and now she's 10. And so I think that's kind of evolved as she's gotten older and has more ownership of her own story. And so I can just say they're three months apart and change the subject. And people are usually pretty good about respecting that and just going with it. Okay. Well, and that was an interesting question, I thought, or a, a, yeah. a thing to explore. Just, and I'm, this is one of the things with this podcast is I really want to remind people that every family is different. And so the boundaries for one family are going to look different than the boundaries for another family. And yes. And I think with adoption, one of the things we've come up with lately is my daughter has to set her own boundaries in social situations with her peers uh, because they have questions. Um, and so we're kind of trying to give her language and equip her to handle that because uh, what 10 year old? I mean, most don't understand boundaries and like the nuance of someone changing a subject. So she's had to be pretty blunt. And there are a fair number of adults that don't understand boundaries as well. <laughs> Myself right. included at times. So, um, what tools have you found useful in helping give her that language? Uh, role playing. Where do you get the role playing from? Where do you, or do you just I mean, come up with scenarios? A, yeah. I mean, if there's a situation that had happened, so we kind of worked through it and um, then just came up with, I reached out to some other adoptive moms um, with older kids and some scenarios they had faced. And we just kind of went through it. I mean, we didn't cover every scenario, but I think it got her a little more comfortable with the, like, these are my biological siblings. These are my adoptive siblings. Um, and to just say that this practice saying that's not what I want to talk about or that's private. Mm-hmm. I mean, I told her she can say that's none of your business. And she's like, that sounds a little rude. Well, maybe, maybe so. <laughs> Distractions. Look over there. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that too. Right. Turn around and ask them a question. Like right. tell me about your brothers and sisters. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is just how family systems are complicated there's not just one topic. It's not just your family has this issue surrounding adoption. You also have other things going on with your children, with your just family functioning. Um, and I think that's important to remember because every family is has a specific chemistry, I guess, if you will, that I think the only re- really the players in that home really understand. And even within that, you probably understand things differently than your kids see it or than your husband sees it. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's awesome of you to share your own experiences so people can kind of, I don't know, feel not so alone a little bit, you know, that 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 everybody has things that they're 
trying to manage. Um, but one of the questions I had was, what did you think family life was going to look like? And what's kind of surprised you? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, my family life does, I, I knew I wanted like several children close in age. Um, my brother and sister are seven years older than I am. And so I kind of grew up with myself. And so I knew I wanted a different experience um, for our family and for my children. I did not think through how chaotic that could be. Um, I mean, I guess I thought we would just have this, like, calm um, system that would go smoothly. Um, And we don't, like, none of those, we don't have any of those things. In the intro, I was mentioning how I thought I was an expert on parenting before I actually had kids and (laughs) would go around telling people how to parent and then I got a set of children of my own and realized I knew very little. Right. You got some on-the-job training. Yes. Yes. And I'm continuing to get the -the on-the-job training. I'm Mm -hmm. by no means learned all I need to learn at this point. It is interesting, though, how kids don't, they help you learn things about yourself, too, right? Yeah. Have you found that to be true? Yeah. I mean, they expose some um, weaknesses and some areas of pride. Yeah, I mean, they definitely teach me a lot. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. They're continuing to teach me a lot. Yes. In ways you might not, you know, ask for always. Right. But But they just keep on coming. Right. So you mentioned that one of your children was diagnosed with autism. Can you tell us a little bit about what that journey looked like and when it began and just take us through that process? Uh, Sure. Uh, when I remember at his two-year-old well check, I I talked to the doctor and I said I really think like there's like, something different. I think I just I, I said I, I feel like I'm parenting a wild animal. I think it's what I said. And she laughed and said that sounded like a two-year-old. And I, I just didn't have the language I think to explain to her what was going on. And he generally was fairly calm, just in like a quiet room with one adult and me. And so his um, behavioral like abnormalities, I guess, weren't, weren't very evident. And so this kind of kept going. And at his three-year-old well check, I was asking for referrals to other doctors and um, not getting them. And I finally had to take my husband in. Mm. Um, this was a male doctor, which we subsequently quit seeing. Um, but take my husband in to get a referral uh, to go see someone else, to go see a developmental pediatrician. And that's really when the ball got rolling. Um, Did they have a different response with your husband there? Yeah, completely. Yeah, well, we got a referral. I mean, that was the third time I'd, I had expressed some concerns. And the second time I'd straight out asked to go see um, a specialist. Yeah. Hmm. So that's what it took. Okay. That's um, unfortunate, so but probably more common than we would like to realize. I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I also learned... I needed to speak up more for my kids because I really deferred to a medical professional. Like, I, okay, you don't think anything's going on? I mean, I guess maybe there's not. Um, you know, and it, it took a while. And I really regret that missed year we had where he could have been getting therapies that he did not. Um, and it's anyways. hard to trust your intuition, right, as a parent uh-huh. when this is the person with the the diploma hanging on the wall and, you know, well, the waiting he, list of wants- people to see. Yeah, and who wants to believe there's really something, like, 
seriously wrong with your child. Right. Everybody, I mean, I, I personally would much rather think everything's fine. Um, anyway, so we got going with a developmental pediatrician and got into speech therapy and occupational therapy. And it was months, a month long process of testing. And then he was diagnosed with autism, um, which was kind of a relief by the end of it. And I mean, we just pursued all sorts of different therapies and now he's eight and he's, he's doing really well. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of blown away at where he is and how well he's doing. Um, he's high functioning so that I know that that's not every family situation, but he at this point looks a lot like a regular neurotypical eight year old boy. Um, but I think his challenges are like, we figured out ways to cope with them. He still has neurological differences He's got a lot of tools to deal with that. I love the video you shared on your oh. Facebook page, and I can put a link to that somewhere. In my show notes, yes. Um, but it was a YouTube video just with an animated explanation of autism, um, and it was great and so. I mean, it would be a great thing to show your kids and to show adults just to have a better sense of understanding and not having um, fear. Have you noticed or come across people that react in fear? You know, um, my son, I mean, it's uh, like a cliche to say, but he doesn't look like he has autism. So unless I share what's going on with him, people don't know. Um a good friend did tell me, which I had, it had never crossed my mind, um, that she was like uncomfortable or unsure of how to interact with him for a long time because she knew. Uh, but she just kept going and kept saying hi and giving him fist bumps. And, you know, now they, they can have a conversation. So, yeah, I think there is fear, but I didn't always see it. Do you ever feel... Like you have to educate people about autism or do you feel like you're sort of, do you want to educate people about autism? Do you sometimes wish you didn't have to? Where, where do you feel like you fall in that? I do want to educate people about autism. And I think more so because when my, my son is having a problem, um, it doesn't look like an autistic meltdown to most people. It looks like a behavioral problem. Mm. Like and you're too lenient of a parent or something like that. Yeah. Or like he's being a jerk or mm, right. you know, bratty. Um, and I mean, sometimes he is, but right. a lot of times he's not. And it's um, so hard to know. So how as a parent do you, I don't know, I mean, have that I lens? I don't know. Yeah. But like last night at dinner, uh, what were we? Oh, a couple of nights ago, I had this like kind of smelly chicken and asparagus. Well, that smells really bother him. Well, the and, way you described it as smelly chicken, did you say <laughs> smelly chicken well, is served? I don't smelly chicken, but, but I know that. He did. Right, it right, smelled, right. You know, it had an aroma. Um, but, but, I mean, we've done, he's been through so much therapy. Finally, he was able to say, Mom, I had a hard day at school. Can I just sit at the bar? And I don't want to sit next to this chicken. I mean, okay. Right. Like, like two years ago, he just would have cried and, like, thrown his plate, which he's not eating chicken. But, you know, he would not have been able to say, like, this is just too much. Right. And that's an amazing um, skill. I think I still struggle with that sometimes when I'm just, I don't always know what's tipping me, you know, right, something, something's right. not feeling right right now. 
he's pretty self-aware. And I think those are skills like we could all use. Um, but therapists now have a, I mean, there's a lot of tools in their toolbox they can teach um, to help. Like that would help anyone, but I've seen them help him quite a bit. What are some of the tools that you have found most useful or the coping strategies or the things? And I mean, again, your son has a specific way that he presents himself to the world like we all do. So some of these might not work for everybody, but for him, what were the things that you found most useful? Um, giving him a chance to try it again. I mean, if he has some like aggressive, rude, whatever, inappropriate reaction to something, instead of like pushing back against that, just say, hey, buddy, you want to try it again? And nine times out of ten, especially once he kind of got the rhythm, oh, this is how it works, I get another chance, um, he can come back. Okay. And I think another tool is just letting it go, mm. um, like not forcing issues that aren't important. You know, decide what's important and let the rest of it go. Right. I had forgotten about that. Try it again. That's a great one. That's and my, I, I have I to start. I love that. It's better than stop it. Stop it now. I said, stop yeah. it now. <laughs> just I mean, keep repeating just that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, we have that in my home. A, yeah. It gives them a chance to do it successfully and you didn't have to be a jerk. I mean, I used try it again with um, everybody, including my husband. Right. Well, and it's such a good example of, for them, of you giving them grace and sort of that opportunity to try again, something we want them, a skill we want them to learn too, to give other people another chance. Yeah. And one thing one of his therapists uh, worked on a lot, since we have four kids so close in age, um, she was not big on punitive punishments for something that happened, but just having them fix whatever was wrong. Like if they threw a pillow, pick up the pillow and then like go to that offended person and apologize and just like restore that relationship. So you're not shaming anybody or like sweeping it under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. Right. But Everybody just gets a chance to start fresh. I like that. Have you r- read it all about um, restorative justice? Have you heard of that? <laughs> um, a little bit. It's not Nelson Mandela. Who is it? I don't Tutu. know. Desmond Tutu. That's who it is. Is it? I just yeah, know that I there's think. a lot of talk out there about restorative justice and just what you were talking about. Pick up the pillow, put it back instead of all these punitive punishments. Yeah, I think maybe Desmond Tutu started that with, or picked it up and carried it, like, with the apartheid issues and, like, having different groups come together and talk. Hmm. I'm glad anyway. you knew what you were talking about on that topic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can bring up these topics and be like, yeah, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> um, so any other coping strategies or, or tools that have been useful? Did you try the weighted blanket? Did that Was that something that you oh, guys ever gosh. used? We st- yeah, we still use weighted blankets. Yeah, I use that for one yeah. of my kids too, and he loves it. And everybody actually wanted one. Yeah, Even the kids I mean, that both, didn't weren't struggling with kind of settling down in the evening. I mean, I realize I kind of do that to myself. Like I pile on the blankets in the evening. It's soothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, all sorts of things. And we do weighted blankets and essential oils. And I'm trying to, I mean, things that feel like second nature to me, I don't think of them as tools anymore. You know what I mean? Right. It's just life. What is the autism community like? Or do you have people that you talk to? that also have a child who struggles in this um, way? I don't have a huge autism community. Okay. And I, I think it's because 
my child that's diagnosed is high functioning and my one that we're not really sure what's going on is also pretty high functioning. And so there's a pretty vibrant community here in San Antonio. Um, but it's not necessarily made up of kids like mine. Okay. Um, and so it's a little different. I mean, special needs is special needs and there's a whole community of here's, you know, what you do with an IEP and here's how you like some ideas of how you, you know, present yourself to the school. Um, but I don't, I don't know anybody in this particular situation. Well, and I'm wondering if it's tricky, too, to, again, with each child being pretty unique. And, and especially within the autism diagnosis, there's a lot of controversy about uh-huh. how it is diagnosed and when it's diagnosed and what causes it. And do you feel like that has caused there not to be as cohesive a community or... Do you think that's not really related? Um, there, there definitely are those controversies. I mean, I'm just thinking about several Facebook groups I'm a part of with like autism specific issues, and I just am a little bit reluctant to engage because my child doesn't have like he's not struggling nearly as um, significantly in a lot of ways, and so. I'm reluctant to like offer an opinion or even ask an opinion just because our issues are so different. I mean, there's a, there's a broad range. Right. And the amount, I mean, I feel very fortunate that his struggle is like at the lower end, even though it feels significant to me, it's nothing compared to some of these other families. So I feel like that's more the disconnect for me. Do you worry that there would be a, that you wouldn't be embraced because he doesn't struggle as significantly? Or do you think it's just more? That- no, I, I, I feel um, almost like rude. My son literally has, he has like friends that don't think anything about him at all. That's different. Um, he's very well liked. I mean, at his IEP, the first thing his teacher said about him, he said he's just so happy. Like, his biggest problem is that he comes in and he's trying to make people laugh instead of, like, putting his homework away. Mm. Um, these are not the issues lower-functioning kids are having. And um, I don't know. Right. I, I just – I don't think anybody would be rude, but I also feel like other people are struggling in bigger ways, and that's just not the space for me, right. it feels like. That makes does sense. that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. Um. I was just curious if you have a spiritual or faith practice and how that plays a role in your parenting. I do. Um, um, when he was three, um, I mean, I'll never forget it. It was in the, the January. He had turned three in September and I had a baby and I had to go to Target to get formula. And that was significant because I never took him to Target because he would scream about a toy for hours Mm -hmm. and I had never bought him a Thomas the train toy at target. Um, but he would literally scream about it for hours. So my husband was out of town and I had to, I had to take all of my kids to target to get this toy. And I remember, I will never forget. We were in the car and I'm, he's three and we're getting out of the car, and I looked at him, and I, and I took his face in my hands, and I said, buddy, we're not coming home with any toys. 
And he blankly stared off into the distance and said, no toys, no toys. Like completely just echoing everything I had said with absolutely no connection. And that was the moment I realized like something is really wrong. Like this huge weight hit me Mm -hmm. of this is not normal. This child's not potty trained. We can't have a conversation. He doesn't understand what I'm saying. Um, We did have an hours long screaming fit about the toy that I've never bought him. Um, And that same time, my husband was at this retreat and his kind of role at this spiritual retreat was just to pray. And so he was walking around these grounds and he was praying over this retreat situation, but also about our family. And the next day he was still gone. uh, But the next day I got up and I had made muffins, which is one of the only things my son would eat. And I gave like, my kids ate all the muffins. We were gone. They were gone. And my son wanted more muffins. He didn't, he wouldn't um, talk, but he, he made the sign for more. And I said, buddy, we don't have any more right now, but I'll make you some more. And normally that would have been another hours long. Like he would have thrown his plates, hours long screaming thing. And he's instead of that, when I, when I said, I'll make you more, he just signed, thank you. And I think that that had never happened. So I really think there was a huge shift in him that he was able, he, he was, he went from not communicating to understanding like in a night. Wow. A, a friend of mine is a special education teacher. Uh, she worked with mostly nonverbal kids on the spectrum and later, not in that moment, but later she said that doesn't happen. Like, those are not stories that happen. Walker was not on a trajectory where that happens. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm really thankful. That's an awesome story. And and it and I think it's those kinds of things are what's probably I'm guessing hard to share sometimes because when you said this specialist said that that's not typical or that's not normal. Yeah. It's easy to keep those stories to ourselves, I think, because it sounds kind of weird. You know? I mean, it kind of sounds like is is this okay to say? You know, I don't mind sharing it. I don't mind sounding weird. Um, what really keeps me from sharing it is that I know it's not everyone's story. Right. And I have so much joy and connection with my child that I don't think I would have had mm. had that not shifted. And it just hurts. I don't want to hurt another family that has a different story. Right, right. Another story is still really beautiful, just different. But your story is beautiful too. And I appreciate you sharing the story because I think it's, it's not always easy to do. And I think sometimes, I don't know, we just, we keep these stories in our close circle. You know, you can, you tell your closest people and just say, I think that this is something that happened to me. And I think that sometimes it's those tight circles where you get the best support. But I really think there's, something powerful about sharing them to to have so that when it happens to someone else like it sounds familiar you know it sounds like something anyway it doesn't feel crazy right right um so one of the things that uh is kind of a big buzzword these days is authenticity and um i was wondering what it's felt like as a parent making friends and building community what do you see in in parents in um, 
the ways parents connect with each other, the way that parents, do you see authenticity? Is that something that you experience? I mean, I do, but I also think I'm really fortunate in that. I have an, a, like a wealth of authenticity in my life, both that I can be authentic with and that are authentic with me. Um, and I'm not sure that's the norm. I mean, what, what do you think? I think I, I feel thankful personally that I do have that, but I also struggle sometimes because it's not everywhere. And maybe I'm just getting greedy. You know, I just want, yeah. let's just all put it all out there, you know? And maybe that it's that I stick with my people. Right, right. I mean, I'm pretty introverted by nature anyway. Um, and so I do stick with what I know and who I know. Like they're authentic with me and I can be authentic with them, which is... I'm really thankful for. I, I don't think that's the norm. I do. I feel I like mean, I have heard from people that parents feel sort of isolated sometimes in their, you know, they might have friends from work or people that they get together with, but don't necessarily talk about these kinds of issues with, like the deeper life family issues. And well, and I think especially my family has so many complications I've learned really quickly I mean one person I shared with my child had a speech delay and she said oh were you not talking to him enough and oh well I'm literally never saying anything to you again right about our struggles I mean you learn real fast this is like it's like a faster vetting process Mm. of who is and is not um safe so for the people that are listening and thinking, oh, shoot, was that me that said that? Or <laughs> or do I say things like that and I'm not realizing it? What are some things that people say that are helpful or are useful when they're curious? Or And then what are the, some of the things that people say that you're like, okay, here's a list of never say this, just so people can know. I remember listening to um, the Sheryl Sandberg uh, Option B and yes. talking about um, what to ask someone who's grieving. And I loved her line about asking, um, how are you f- doing today? You know, because when yeah. you say, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? When you're really deep in grief, it can be so hard to like, really, I, I, and now you're going to make me put words to it, you know? Yeah. And sometimes how are you doing today can kind of just thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, kind of give a little bit more of a barometer. So what is, what yeah. is something, I guess let's first start with uh, what, what don't say, don't say these things. I mean, don't say, did you not do this? Did you not do that? Yeah. I mean, I, any sort of blaming language is, is bad news. Right. Um, and I, and the person that asked me that has the kindest heart. If, if that person understood how much that hurt me, I mean, that person would be very distraught. Right. It was not intentional. Um, I mean, so what not to say? I'm, I feel like, again, pretty fortunate not to have a lot of those stories. I mean, the kindest thing someone said to me was just, you're a good mom. Mm. Just a stranger or a... No, a friend. A friend, I was yeah. upset about what was, like, a situation happening. Yes. Um, and she said, you're a good mom. You're doing a great job. Yes. And, and that's so, just I mean, what we need like sometimes. Um, even... You know, even and that's good advice I, for husbands too. If any husbands are yeah. listening, which I'm 
kind of not sure what actually happened. But if any husbands are listening, sometimes that's just what moms want to hear is you're an awesome mom, you're doing a great job. You know, instead of, oh, you could have done this, or you could have done that. Yeah, or why didn't you or have you thought about I, I right. you know, I'll say with autism specifically, I have not found this as much an adoption, but people recommend a lot of diets or oils, what whatever. I mean every autism mom I know has researched this like ten ways from Sunday. We don't need recommendations. Mm. We've tried it all, we've researched it all, we've 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 done all those things. Right. But the time you get to an autism diagnosis, you have done like an extraordinary number of things. So those things I appreciate. I know I know they're well meaning, um, but they're not usually applicable. I think most people go into research mode when there's a situation. So these are this is like the low hanging fruit that we've all come across, you know. Yeah, and I and I'm I'm just running through my mind. I think I do do this not necessarily about topics like that or related to children. Although I probably do. Have you tried? Have you tried the weighted blanket? Have you tried, you know, and it's, it's important, I guess, to remember that people are not always in the space for suggestions, you know, or helpful hints. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. And that's the hard thing to know and to, I guess, read body language. If somebody is like, I am not sure what to do about this thing. I mean, I think it's okay to share. This is a thing we've done in our family that's been helpful. Um, but if it's just a general, my child had, has autism and has a bad day, recommending a new diet program, maybe it's not, that's, you know, that's not the way to go. Right. No, it's, it's tricky. And I think that's why sometimes people are not as connected with each other as they could be, you know, because people, I think, sometimes are afraid of saying too much or saying the wrong thing or, you know, so then sometimes people, you know, maybe keep a little bit of a distance when that's not helpful either, you know? So it's it's yeah. really a tricky but balance. You know I mean, when people, when you have a real authentic relationship with someone, like there's nothing you could say to me, Megan, that I would take offense at because I know that you love me and the kids. Right. And but so the trick is that, getting to that point yeah, in a relationship. And I think that's like this vulnerability going both ways. That's when you can really speak into someone's life. And if you don't have that relationship, then maybe you don't do that. Right. No, that's a good point. What what kind of relationship is this? How far along are we in our sort of intimacy and ability to kind of give feedback? Maybe yeah. feedback from a person you have not sort of a surface relationship with is not really such a source. Yeah. Right. I guess shifting gears here from autism to adoption, what are some of the, I don't know, what surprised you the most about adoption? Because I know you adopted and had other people adopting that you were close with at the same time. So you intimately know that everyone's adoption story can be so different. Yeah. We sort of planned to adopt, but did not have concrete plans to adopt. It was like this distant thing that might be happening. And then as life throws us some curveballs. We wound up, my family, my husband and I, on a Thursday night talking about this child that needed a home. And Friday morning, we brought this five-year-old home with no planning. I mean, she didn't have a toothbrush or like a room, nothing. 
Um, and so that was surprising. That was not expected. So kind of just adjusting to that. But I think what has kind of surprised me about adoption is just, I guess what maybe what I wish I knew about adoption is just to calm down. Like, let the relationship develop a little more naturally. I think I went into overdrive of this relationship has to look like my relationship with my biological children today. Mm. So how can I make this perfect today? And um, one of the adoption classes we took talks a lot about how adoption is a marathon and not a sprint. And um, I just wish I would have, especially in the beginning or five years in, but just like, let it, let it be, like, let it be what it is and let it develop a little more gradually. Right. And sort of organically. Yeah. Just calm down. Right. Calm down. Would that have been helpful if somebody said, Jill, just calm down. No. Maybe you should no, just calm down. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm glad I didn't say that. Um, I mean, it's kind of like being a brand new mom. You don't, like, it feels urgent. Right. Well, and you want that attachment so desperately, right? You you want that attachment so desperately. And it's just, but you can't really rush. I mean, and it's funny because it's similar to what we're talking about with friendships and just building that authentic relationships over time. It's similar with a child and your, your other children were there for much longer. So you had that time. Much longer at younger ages. I mm. feel like for us, that was um, a big difference. Yeah, you just got to let that go slow and just let it let it happen like more organically. I just thought I, like if I just did all the right things in the right ways, then then I would be good. And that's just, I mean, that's not parenting. Period, right. I was just thinking that. I think that's what I thought family life would be like. If I just read enough Mm -hmm. books and studied enough about how to do this thing, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's sort of how I have approached other things in my life and it kind of worked. And it worked out perfectly. Right. Because those things didn't probably involve living humans. Right. So these living humans are really throwing me a curveball. And it's really, (laughs) I think that's the interesting part. The more I kind of, um, remember that, that these are just humans and I, and humans are tricky really tricky. Yeah. You know, and, and it sort of takes some of the pressure off, you know, and it God does. made these people the way he made them. And we are the stewards. We're not, we're not the creators of this person. Well, he made you know? them the way he made them for our family uniquely. Right. So these challenges are not catastrophes. They're tools that are going to make us all like the best versions of ourselves, you know, and on my best days, I remember that. Right, And then my worst days, I, I don't. But um, that is really comforting to me. Like, we were all placed here in our time for a purpose. And this was intentional. It wasn't some random accident. And that is really um, comforting to me. Yes. I find comfort in that also. And <laughs> I know, but, and I know not all people do, you know? And I, I just, to me, there's the aspect of my own faith, but also it it's kind it's freeing so i yeah. am it's it's kind of helpful in that way too it's just kind of takes the pressure off that this is not all on me there's parts of this yeah. that i can i can do my best with but then there's also parts that are just going to be what they're going to be they are and, and they're going to be messy and they're going to be messy no matter what i do um and, and i think i mean one thing that happened in our family recently 
excuse me, one of my children was talking, had to write something about something hard that had happened. And when we adopted, I thought, what catastrophe are we bringing on our families? Like, what trauma are we bringing in? Like, this is going to be so hard. And what my biological child wrote about what was hard was another one of my biological children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not my adopted child. Right. Um, that's not, like, that's a, that's a joy to this child. It's not a hardship. And so that was kind of interesting, too. You just never know how it's all going to sort itself out. No, you don't. What do you think has been the biggest challenge in the adoption process, either for you or for your family or for your adopted child? Or is it or those, it's five different questions, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I will say what I thought was going to be a very big challenge was for my biological children, and that has not been true. They are not challenged by adoption. They just adore their sibling and that's their sibling and moving on. Like that's, it's not a thing they think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, it was so focused on attachment. Um, my idea of what being a good parent to my adopted child was that that relationship would be the same as the relationship with my biological sibling that is the same age. Um, and that's just not realistic. That was one of the biggest wake up calls for me too, is in just having a second child. I thought it was just going to be a replication of the first child, you know, like, okay, just the next one. And they're just, they're all so different. And each relationship is so different. And some of the things that work with one child are definitely not going to work with the other child. Yeah. I mean, they can all be loving relationships, but I think you have to look at them. For me, I have to look at them in a vacuum without comparing them to other things. Um, and that, I mean, it's taken like several therapists to get through of saying, Oh, those, this is normal. Like these are normal struggles on all sides. Um, so I think for me, that's probably been the biggest challenge. What in terms of, I know you mentioned, uh, having a therapist, what, what has been useful for you in talking to other people about and, and using experts and outside sources as support? I will say, well, I mean, there are two different things for adoption and autism. For my mental health in general, going to therapy has been amazing, um, both on both sides. I think for looking for therapists for my adoption, adopted child, I've had to be a lot more careful, I think, um, of what's going to be helpful and maybe what's not. Like, if I go to a therapist and they start crying when they hear my child's story, mm-hmm. Like they're not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. That is not that is not a helpful thing, and that's happened a few times. Um, for my child with autism, that's an easier thing to find therapists for, and we found a lot. I'm a huge proponent of um, well, both medication, which is I know probably unpopular, but you just never know how good it can be until you try. You can always stop, mm-hmm. um, but also all the therapies. We have so many resources. Try it all. You can always say no. You can always stop. Um, but we've tried a lot of things, and they've been really helpful. Yeah, I've watched you through the process of that. And talk about marathon. I mean, <laughs> yeah, marathon. parenting in general is a marathon. But when you add therapies and doctor's appointments and, you know, medications, and it just 
it's a whole nother level and layer of um, just trying to keep things on track. You, I will say, I think of therapies as like a lab you go to when you're in college. Like you go to a lab and you do whatever the things you do and you come home and you do all this post work. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I think of therapy. Like you come home and you do your homework. And so that means you do these exercises with your child or whatever it is, the thing the therapist recommends. Um, and I think that's where the real progress happens is when you do this like consistent daily follow up. That's where changes get made. I'm having flashbacks of my piano lessons and the teacher being like, did you practice? (laughs) Yeah, totally. It really is. Right. One of the things I was thinking when we were talking is just about all that other layer and keeping track of appointments. And what have you found helps keep you organized? Uh, I have a paper planner and I write all my or uh, my appointments down in that, even though uh, people keep telling me because they're recurring appointments. Usually, if you see your therapist, your OT at 10 o'clock Tuesday, you see them every Tuesday at 10 o'clock. But I just need to turn to it to the week and write it a thousand times um, to see it. I, I can't do a digital appointment book. I need to see the week at a glance and look at all these things because I have four kids um, and two, maybe three, depending on how you classify them, have special needs. And so they have appointments and I need to see like who's going where, when, and what my husband needs to do and what I need to find a babysitter to do. But that paper planner is for me helpful. What I'm just realizing now that we haven't really talked about being married and that being married is part of this whole deal. What have you found to be useful to you and your husband in keeping you guys unified as you, you know, just raise these people, do this, do this thing. You know what we didn't do that I think would have been a whole lot more helpful is for a long time, and we don't so much now that all of my kids are in school, but for, I would say, a solid three-year stretch, we had therapists in our home for, like, several hours a week that I was the only one present for. And I wish I had, like, typed up some notes or even just debriefed my husband daily about here's what we did. Mm. Be- because a lot of that happened in a vacuum that he was not part of. But then I expected him to handle my child with the same tools I had been given that he didn't have. He wasn't here. He was work- He was supporting our family working. Right. Um, and so I wish I had found a way to like loop him in on that more. And, and maybe just like a nightly debrief would have been enough for me. Writing is easier. Um, it's like, you know, that's a more um, coherent way for me to communicate. But I think that would have been really helpful. And I think that's an important point for all of us, right? To, I've noticed that with my own marriage is just, you know, like I'll get frustrated that he doesn't know something about school. Well, how would he? I'm the one managing that. And unless I communicate it, it's not going to happen. And every family is different. I'm sure there's plenty of husbands that they're the, the point person. But um, just to kind of keep that flow, because then you want, when you want to ask that person, what do you think about this situation? If they don't have the building blocks behind it, it's a little tricky. Yes, yes. And and that is what I found. Um, We would be six decisions into something and I would want my husband's opinion and he would not have a foundation to to give this opinion because I hadn't given him the foundation. I mean, 
you know, it's cyclical and he can't get it himself because he's not here because he's working. Right. Um, that makes yeah, sense. That, a bigger flow of communication. I really, that, that was a mistake we made. Um, that it took like a couple of years to figure out and now we're getting better. But when we were in the throes of it, we didn't do it very well. Like we were talking about, it's practice, right? I mean, it's the mm-hmm. more you do it, probably the more you do it. And that muscle gets stronger. Um, yeah. So is there anything that I haven't asked you that you were hoping you would be able to share? You know what? There are a couple of things. As we, as I knew we were going to have this conversation, there were a couple of things I wanted to touch on. And one is about adoption. My daughter is, my, my adopted child, is the most like outgoing, extroverted, like gregarious, social human in our whole family. And... Anyone that meets her loves her because there's nothing not to love. Like, she's so kind. And so I get a lot of feedback about her of how lucky she is to be in our family. And I, 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 it's, it's all kind, and it's from a kind place. But I also like to remind people that this is a five-year-old that was taken from all of her siblings thrust overnight not even overnight like instantaneously into a family she did not know um I mean that's not really a lucky situation I just think when we acknowledge the beauty of adoption I think it's important to acknowledge the pain and the loss and just understand these kids have dealt with a lot um because I think that's important as um parents set boundaries for behaviors or interaction just to understand like you you see a surface bit and i think Um, it is easy as the bystander to forget that it is especially i think in our situation i mean my my daughter i i will say like she's the nicest person in our family (laughs) so it's i understand where these words are coming from um but i think the opposite side of it too to look at us as if you you don't look at us as an adoption family, as an autism family, like we're really pretty super normal. We set our lives up in different ways um, to help our children be successful. But like at the end of the day, we're just a family and, and it's pretty normal. And my son with autism is really normal and he would love to talk to you about whatever, you know. He, he wants to engage with you and he wants to be acknowledged. Um, and he wants connection as much as any other kid wants connection or engagement. Um, and so I really, really appreciate when my friends, because he won't seek it out. But he will engage when people seek him out. And I, I really appreciate when people do try to like give him a fist bump and say hi. I think yeah. that's the thing that, I'm hoping from this podcast and just t- to remind people that that's what most people want is that type of connection. Not all people. There are some people that would prefer to be left alone. But, um, you know, just in having those kinds of relationships where you can, um, you know, connect and be your authentic self and share your important things and your hard things and, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a special 
it's a special place to be, but it takes work and it takes effort and, um, and everybody wants it. Our kids want it. We want it. And I, you know, a, a friend was over at my house the other day saying, just today, just today, your child engaged with me. I mean, this friend that was over has been put in the work literally for years. Um, and so, like, don't despise the small beginnings. Like, chip away. And if somebody doesn't want to give you a fist bump, that's okay. Right. Still try and give them a fist bump another day. Like, just keep going. So this is my last question, and I'm thinking I might have this be the last question for everybody, but we'll see how it goes this time and and sort of take it from there. What is a self-care strategy that you employ to help keep yourself healthy? As you're keeping your family brain healthy, what keeps you healthy? What's your self-care that you couldn't live without right now? I'm the worst. I am the worst person to ask this question to. Um. So I'll tell you my self-care strategy, I would say that for the past four to five years has just been trying to keep my head above water. I am the worst. However, we've had some life changes lately, and one thing I do every day is take the dog for a walk, and I will take the dog for a walk I don't I, in a hailstorm. I don't even care. Um, just to get outside. Um, and I don't listen to anything. I don't listen to podcasts or I don't have anything in my ears. I just walk around the block with my dog. And that has been really centering, like just helpful. I love that. I love it. I think nature and quiet. And I don't yeah, I mean, do either really very often. Quiet. I'm not good either. I think now we have access to all of these things like podcasts or audiobooks, <laughs> radio. And it's so I have to easy. I my phone at home. Right. Or I'll like take a picture of something or whatever. I just have to not have anything. How long is your walk? Oh, twenty is, minutes. You, I mean, I you have a, a specific block. loop. Yeah, I'm just trying to picture. Um, <laughs> so, I love that. I love that. I just think it's so important, and that's the thing that we. Uh, I'm going to challenge you to uh, your self care because if if we're not taking care of ourselves, I just feel this, and I mean, some days are better than others, right? You know. Yeah. It, and it, no, it, I will say that is what I have let go by the wayside the past several years. Uh, zero self-care. And I've only walked the dog like since I stopped working. Mm-hmm. I have run on this treadmill of just madness. Looking you back, know, do you think that, that you could have done more? No, or was it just such honestly, a whirlwind? I don't. Yeah. I don't. I, yeah. I, I, I really don't. I, and Because I, I thought about that and I thought about it in the moment. It was like, you know what? I'm doing the best I can to keep this family going. Um, and we had some, like, very challenging circumstances. Um, I mean, I would have made self-care at, like, 4.30 in the morning. Well, do we really want to do that? I mean, I remember, specifically, actually, I remember talking to you, and you were like, if you don't have 30 minutes a day to work out, I mean, come on. And I looked at my schedule and I thought, I literally don't have 30 minutes in a day. Uh, I literally do not have it. No, see, no, that's one day. of those jerk comments that it's yeah, like. But it wasn't a jerk comment, <laughs> Megan. It was, a, it was a comment that made me think, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. And then I looked at my schedule and I realized, I don't have 30 minutes. And I thought, Megan and I have very different lives. Mm-hmm. And it, it was not a jerk comment. Um, it kind of gave me peace. Because I was like, holy shit, my life is super busy. Yeah. 
And that's just what it is. Yeah. Yep. And now it's different. It right. was a season. And now it's a different season. And so my self-care was not great. But it was like the best it could be. Right. And just being, I mean, and in some ways that is self-care, right? Is that you are saying, I'm doing the best I can do and just kind of being gentle with yourself and yeah. not beating yourself up about, I'm not doing this, that this other person is doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and that was, and I think that goes back to your point about vulnerability and like talking with your friends and thinking like, I, this is the best me I have right now. And it's not my favorite me and I'm not super happy, but it's, it's the best I got. Our buddy Bob Goff posted on his Instagram today. Did you see that? Where it said, um, the battle for our hearts are waged on the pages of our planners. And then he, he says, quit something today. It's Thursday, right? <laughs> it's Thursday. About quitting something on Thursday. Yes. Um, and I think that's so true. But the, the, you know, your heart was in keeping your family going. And that's, yeah. that's what you're, calendar reflected mine apparently was trying to fit in old pants but <laughs> no, you know what we have different lives like I, yes. I, I, I did not mean to make you feel bad about no no I it think was, it's it was a, like a clarifying moment for me but I think it's a good example sometimes too of the impact of our words and just I, I don't feel bad I just think it's I know that about myself that I can make comments because I'm talking all the time how could I not say something that might sound weird uh, no but it was just like you did have 30 minutes in your day. I did not. Right. Like those are right. just different places. And now I do. Right. And you know what I'm still not doing? Still not working out. So it's fine. Yeah. And I think that can happen so much too with um, different economic situations, different life circumstances mm-hmm. where, well, why doesn't this person just do this? Just what? Why can't you just do that? You know, this is what I do. Right. But your circumstance is so different. It's just, it's not really fair to impose that on. And likewise, you wouldn't want that being done to you. Like, why don't you right. just do this? Um. Well, it has been so awesome talking with you. I know, even if you don't interview me for your podcast, can, can we talk an hour every week? This is so lovely. Sure. I think that would be amazing. I would love it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.